0: Thank you so much, uh, Praise Team, for leading us in worship, and just uh, it's great to be together this time of year, isn't it, and, and uh, worship our Lord in uh, music, and yeah, good to have each of you here as, as we gather today for worship, and you that are watching online as well. We're uh, getting well on into the Advent season, and, and <clears throat> you know, waiting is a hard thing, and, and it seems like we've been doing a lot of that in, in uh, 2020, isn't it? Um, especially waiting for this cloud of this uh, coronavirus and all the things connected to it to to lift. And and, uh, maybe we haven't been just sure even what specifically relating to that we're waiting for, for the virus to gradually wear itself out or herd immunity or a vaccine or um, the presidential elections to be settled or all of the above. Um, Or maybe for God to uh, intervene in a miraculous way. In a way, this this virus is a reminder of what the whole world was waiting for even 2,000 years ago and and what we continue to wait for today, and that is relief from the virus of sin and how it has infected uh, every aspect of life on this earth. And Advent is a season of, of waiting and anticipating, and it's a time to reflect back on God's plan to send a Savior to relieve the world of that burden of sin. And it's a time to recognize also then, the coming of Jesus Christ that happened 2,000 years ago, and how that was the answer to the longing of human hearts, and to then recognize also the return of Christ coming someday that will complete the relief for many. Well, the sources of news in the last weeks here have been hailing some relief from this pandemic that's now in sight, in the form of a vaccine. and while that news is getting rave reviews with some, uh, it's also getting apprehension from some others. And the question of if it's safe and what's in it and um, potential side effects or things like that. And and I have to say, I'm not confident to advise anyone on coronavirus vaccines today. But but I bring that up as a fitting illustration also of of the mixed reviews that even Jesus Christ got when he came on the scene and, and the mixed consequences that his return will bring for humanity humanity someday. I am confident of something though, and that and that is to advise anyone on how to respond to the first coming of Jesus Christ and how to be ready for his return. And that's what I want to talk about today as we focus in God's word in this third Sunday in Advent and, and in a way I think it comes down to uh, just how much can we or can't we trust our sources of information? And, and I think that uh, this last year and the things that have come with it have been teaching us about that and and how even as we're hearing information from all kinds of different sources, we need to ask ourselves that question, well, am I sure I can trust this source? And it's important that we recognize that sometimes even sources can change over time. Um, they might have the same name and yet shift significantly in their content. And, and human organizations are like that. And they have the, they're subject to drift and even to corruption. And, and so we best pray then for discernment regarding what we listen to and what we believe in. However, the source of information for what I want to share with you today does not change. And and its source is absolutely reliable. It's the inerrant and eternal Word of God that's recorded in our Bibles. And I invite you to look at that today. We'll be looking in Luke chapter 2 in just a bit. But I want to just uh, say, as we look at our Bibles, uh, it it reveals in this amazing plan of our Creator God, to provide relief from the burden of sin and rebellion. And and that that plan unfolds for us throughout the pages of our Bibles. Uh, From the very first time that God gave this promise of a Savior, he gave it to Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. And that's recorded in the first book there in Genesis. And then as you go through the Old Testament, we see that the words of the various Old Testament prophets pointing ahead to that Messiah that was to come. And we read two of those today in Isaiah and Malachi. And, and then we go on to see what's revealed in the New Testament, and there we'll be looking at the Gospel of Luke today, and God's, word, um, God's plan is unfolded then in what he predicted <clears throat> and what was promised. And one other thing I think is amazing about the Bible is, is how often the Bible ends up confirming that information that's gathered from other historical sources as well. And so I invite you to look with me at Luke chapter 3, we are reading verses 1 through 6, and would you please stand in reverence to God's word if you're able. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Aeturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanius was governor of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas, and, and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, <clears throat> the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he came into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled, every mountain and hill will be lowered, and the crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth." and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word, and and how we can see it it firmly rooted in history that you sent your Son to be our Savior. Thank you for the forerunner you sent before in John the Baptist. And Lord, we ask that as we meditate on this word today that that you would speak to each of our hearts uh, and, and that you would draw us To look to Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. At Christmas we celebrate this uh, amazing story that we Christians believe uh, is really much more than just a story. It's the wonder of the incarnation. The all-powerful God taking on human flesh and becoming one of us as a human baby that was born in a humble stable at Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. And he grew up to be a man who did some amazing things. He changed water into wine. He multiplied two fish and five loaves of bread to feed over 5,000 people. He calmed troubled seas with just his word. He healed all kinds of diseases, and he even raised the dead. And then he was put on a cross, and he died. But he raised himself to life. And you know, that sounds a bit far-fetched. To Some people today and many people today would tend to put this story of Jesus on the same level then as the legends of Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or uh, Rumpelstiltskin or something like that. They might even read their children Bible stories with that kind of a mentality that you know a good bedtime story it's good for the kids because it stirs the imagination But one of the fascinating things to me about the written record that we have in the Gospel of Luke is that Luke doesn't really leave that to be an option for us. He gives us some very thorough details that plant these events firmly in in our history books. And this sets the Bible apart, for instance, then from any other religious books. Take, for instance, the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith claimed to have received that from the angel Moroni, on some gold tablets, but as we compare the Bible and the Book of Mormon, we we see a vast difference in, in their historical reliability. For instance, archaeologists have never successfully used the Book of Mormon as a guide in locating some kind of ancient ruins, but they have done that many, many times with the Bible. No Mormon names are found in any inscriptions that they dig up, but many Bible names have been found in inscriptions. The Book of Mormon is claimed to have been translated from something, uh, that I guess uh, Joseph Smith called it Reformed Egyptian. But we don't know of any language like that that exists. We have no record of it. Whereas the Bible translated from Hebrew and from the Greek, those historical languages can still be studied in today's universities. There are no manuscripts of Reformed Egyptian writings that are available. We can't find any trace of uh, those gold plates that Joseph Smith said he had. Uh, But our English Bible is supported by thousands of Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, along with um, some complete copies even of the Bible as far back as 300 A.D., and those are available to be seen. Do you see the difference? What do you hear as you read there in Luke chapter 3? You heard some historical names of people. And the all-powerful God of the universe had a plan, you see, that sent his Son to the earth to save fallen mankind at a certain point in human history. And he planned this out before the foundations of the world, and he carefully prepared then the way for the coming of his Son. On Christmas Eve, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, the chapter just before this, and, and how there God set everything in place, Uh, for the arrival of the Christ child, and there's names of of leaders given then as well. But today, as we look in chapter 3 here, I I want to just remind you of how God prepared the way for the arrival of his son when he came on the scene as a full-grown man um, and began his public ministry. Well, how was it that God prepared the way for the coming of his son? Well, he put rulers in place. And uh, Luke's Gospel goes into great detail regarding this, and I believe um, that he does so so that we'd have no doubt that Jesus did exist at a certain point in human history. And his entrance into public ministry took place, clearly rooted then in history. Well, who were those rulers that uh, God put in place for the arrival of his son, Jesus, on the public scene? As you look in that text, there's many of them mentioned there. First of all, there's Tiberius Caesar... Um, he was a foster son of Caesar Augustus, um, foster grandson then of Julius Caesar. And, and uh, there is a city in Israel, if you look up there where it says Galilee, there's a little Sea of Galilee close by there, and right next to that, I think I have another picture, it's a little closer, the red dot up there, Tiberias. Um, I've, I've stayed there. Gene and I had the privilege of going to Israel a couple years back, and, and that city is named, of course, after Tiberius Caesar. And it was in the 15th year then of Tiberius Caesar's reign over the Roman Empire that this took place. And under him then were four men that ruled uh, over the different Jewish territories. And one of them was Pontius Pilate. He ruled over the part that you see there in the pink. Um, And he was a Roman governor uh, in our Apostles' Creed that we confess each Sunday morning we understand that Jesus suffered under the hands of this Roman governor three years later. There was a Herod Antipas. He was, you might say, a Jewish puppet leader under the rule of the Romans. And he was Tetrarch of Galilee. That would be the part in the green up there. Um, and and uh, he would be a, a son of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a grant, yeah, a son of Herod the Great. And uh, as you think of Herod the Great, there are all kinds of things you can see in the nation of Israel still that, that trace back to him, archaeological digs are, are, that are amazing. Um, this is one of them I got to visit. Um, Masada is overlooking the Dead Sea and got to ride that um, cable car up to the top of that mount, and there are remnants of this great fort that Herod the Great built. You go to Jerusalem and, and there the temple mount, not, not the temple that's there or the parts that are there today, but underneath the, the lower part of the foundation there was all leveled by Herod the Great way back before Jesus' time. Um, we got to sit on the steps right next to that at one point. You see how it's so rooted in history. And that Herod Antipas then was, was a king who uh, in a few months would arrest John the Baptist and, and then at the request of his niece, have him beheaded. There's also Philip um, mentioned here. He was Tetrarch of uh, Aetria and Trachonitis. That would be just east of Galilee there. And uh, that was in about 4 B.C. to 34 A.D., history records. He was Herod's brother. And Philip's wife left him for Herod, which then got John the Baptist, uh, spoke out and said that is wrong, and that resulted in him ending up in prison. And there was also Lysanias. Uh, He was Tetrarch of Abilene. And and Lysanias died after just a few years in his domain, then was added to Philips. But an interesting thing to me is that there's an inscription that was found in archaeological digs up there um, in Abilene, which is in the northern part there, um, inscribed with the name Lysanias the Tetrarch. God prepared the way for the coming of his son by putting each of those rulers in place for as long as he wanted them there, and then he brought him down when he chose to do so. And for instance, in Romans 13, it tells us there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are established by God. And in Isaiah 40, just a little further on from what was read today, it reminds us about God that he reduces rulers to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth meaningless. One other I should mention here in the list, um, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Uh, that was a father-son pair that served as high priests one after another. <clears throat> and, and the interesting thing to me that is, is that with all of those government rulers that we've talked about and, and those religious bigwigs that are named and so on, Luke says this. He says, The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Not to Caesar or to his governors or tetrarchs in their palaces. Not even to the high priests in the temple. But the word of the Lord came to a seemingly social misfit, wearing camel skin and living off the land on locusts and wild honey. And this was the man that God chose. This was the man who humbled himself before God and received God's word passed on to him to then share with the multitudes that day. And he did it there in a real location along the Jordan River. And... uh, We've been there. That was a picture of baptisms we saw when we were there. To prepare the way for God's son's entrance into public ministry, God put rulers in place, in specific times and place, and then God sent his forerunner. <clears throat> I think I'm going to back up to that for a second. Um, <clears throat> that forerunner was John the Baptist. He was a man um, about whom Jesus would say, I say unto you, there is among born, those born of women no one greater than John. John dedicated his life to serving as God's messenger and hearing God's word while out there in the wilderness and preaching to crowds that came to hear him there in the district around the Jordan. And John's purpose was to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. His preaching would be, you might say, like, the, like a modern road grader um, goes before and smooths out the roadbed so the pavement can be laid on it. And in John's preaching, then, we see two things that he spoke about especially. He pointed out the sinfulness of all mankind and the coming of a Savior. And we're going to come back to those things in a bit, but just notice that God prepared the way for the coming of his Son by putting rulers in place and then sending his forerunner, John the Baptist. And even all of that was planned out way way back, and we read about it in the Old Testament prophets today, the coming of that forerunner. And so we see then that God prophesied his coming. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, Luke said here, as it is written, that is, as it stands recorded, God's word. Isaiah spoke over 400 years before this forerunner would come on the scene. But it was as good as done when Isaiah said it, because God's word stands. It, It was written that he would be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that he would cry out, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Let every ravine be filled, every mountain and hill be brought low, and the crooked become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. You see, when preparing a roadbed, uh, men level off the hills, they fill in valleys, they straighten out crooked parts, smooth out the surface. Well, how is it that John the Baptist would do that? Well, he called people to repentance, and he offered them forgiveness. You see, pointing out sin levels the roadbed, so to speak. John the Baptist put all people on the same level. He didn't give anyone special treatment. He called the common people that followed him out there into the wilderness to hear him. He called them to repentance. That's to turn from their sin. And he did the same thing regarding the religious leaders, and even regarding King Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee. All of them were sinners that needed to repent. And so John prepared the way for Jesus by leveling that roadbed, reminding all who would listen of their sinfulness and that judgment is coming if you refuse to repent. And so when Jesus came along then, many people would be more ready to hear the gospel because they'd been confronted about their sins and they knew they were sinners and that their only hope was the possibility of somehow receiving forgiveness, which is what Jesus would offer them. And so even as John preached there for a few months uh, before Jesus came on the scene, and then there was one day where Jesus came, and and John saw him walking toward him, and he said, there, behold the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. That's what the Son of God came to offer, to take away the sins of the common people, and even the sins of the self-righteous high priests, and even the sins of those openly sinful rulers in the political realm who thought that they didn't have to answer to anyone. And for all those who would humble themselves and repent, forgiveness of sin was available in Jesus Christ. And the same is still true today. As Scripture reminds us, if we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is the amazing thing, that we can have the burden of our sins taken away in Christ. So God prepared the way for the coming of his son with that great gospel message of forgiveness through the substitutionary death of his son on the cross. And he did so by putting those rulers in place and recording the details surrounding that and then sending his, his forerunner, John the Baptist, that Isaiah had prophesied would come and then using that forerunner to call people to repentance. And at Advent, then, we are reminded of Jesus' first coming to this earth. And also, we're reminded of his second coming someday in the future. And the Bible makes clear that when God says the time is right, then Jesus will return to this earth in power and in glory, and he'll usher in the day of judgment for some, and eternal rewards in heaven for others. And so then, as we think about what we've read today, how is it that God continues To prepare the way for the return of his son. Well, I believe he still puts rulers in place. And he still brings them down. And it looks like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be our next president and vice president of the United States. And if that becomes reality, then they will be in office because God has ordained it for his purposes. And, And they might even be oblivious to that. They might even be opposed to God and his word on some things but they'll still be under his rule. And we might get discouraged and, and frustrated about corruption in high places and question how leaders come to power. But you know, there has always been a jockeying for power that has gone on in our world. And as I already mentioned, back in the days of Jesus, uh, when he was sent to this earth, Herod Antipas was, was king of Judea, and there were all kinds of scandals going on at that time. Uh, for instance, uh, <clears throat> Uh, Herodias tried to maneuver her uh, brother-in-law out of territory that had ruled and and a backfired on her and uh, and on her husband and then uh, Herod Antipas. And so they were both banished to Gaul. And uh, Herod Agrippa then gained their territory. Then, just a few years later, God removed Herod Agrippa from power. Uh, And he died suddenly, and that's recorded in, in Acts chapter 12. And, you know, we sometimes look around at leaders of various states and countries in the world and we see power-hungry despots, but, but God is still above it all and, and he can raise up or he can bring down any leader, any country, including our own at any time. God still puts rulers in place and he brings them down. God also still sends messengers to declare his word. And though many claim to speak for God today who have abandoned his written word, he still raises up new voices, will faithfully speak it today. Voices that will speak the law and point out sin and and the gospel that offers us forgiveness in Christ. And and I've been encouraged in these last years I I guess I'm getting older now as many of the pastors that I looked up to in in, uh, my earlier years uh, are are retiring or even slipping um, to join the church triumphant in heaven. But God continues to raise up more men for the ministry, and we continue to pray for that. And I'm so thankful for guys like Pastor Ryan that have answered that call. Um, God still sends his messengers uh, to serve as pastors, and he still calls men and women to many other professions as well where they have the opportunity to stand in God's word and share the hope that we have here with hungry and thirsty souls around us. Was well, God prophesied the first coming of his son to the earth, he has also prophesied that someday his son will return. And we're told about that even in Acts chapter 1, there were, as Jesus ascended up into heaven, um, and the disciples watched him go, uh, then an angel said this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. As as the song that we're going to sing in a bit here says, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, maybe soon. You know, as things get worse in the world around us, uh, our longing for Christ's return grows if we're a believer in him. And the question that behooves each of us to answer then is this. Am I ready? Do I know things are right with God? Have I faced my sin and repented and turned from it to trust in Jesus as my Savior? You see, through the Bible, God still calls people to repentance, and he still offers forgiveness. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. John the Baptist's message is still for us today. And so today, if you see that you need Jesus... He invites you to humble yourself, admit your sins, and believe in and receive the forgiveness that he so graciously offers us. And as you do, then you receive him personally into your heart and your life, and you are one, then, that knows him and is ready for eternity. Maybe you're one that has already believed in and received Christ, and as you're reminded of his coming for his own, will you also remember that the reason he delays because he desires that no one would perish but all would come to repentance and christmas is just one of those great times a year to share that message and i encourage you it's so good to see people here today keep inviting people to church and or, or to watch us online and to hear god's word and the message of hope that we have that marinaste our motto is here making disciples of jesus christ while we wait for his return let's pray Lord God, we thank you for your word today and, and for the thing that we can trust in, in the midst of all kinds of uh, messages coming at us that we, we struggle to know. Well, should I believe that or not? Is this reliable or not? Or thank you that your word does not change, that it has stood the test of time, that it has revealed to us uh, the things that were prophesied long ago that have come about in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and Lord, we thank you that the Bible is so firmly written in history. And, Lord, we thank you for the word today that invites us to repent, to admit our sins, and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that that message is, is for people in high places, and, and we pray that those in high places in our land would admit their sin and, and humble themselves and turn to Jesus, even this season. And, Lord, we thank you that that message is for each and every one of us, too, and we pray that you'd help us, that we would live our lives in daily repentance and faith in Jesus. And we thank you that in him there is forgiveness. There is the promise of his return and of eternal life and glory. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity today to share that message. And Lord, I pray your blessing also on the Sunday School program that will follow. And those who have come today to hear that, Lord, may we rejoice together in the message we have of Jesus Christ, the Savior from sin. We pray in his name. Amen.